Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to sexual assault, sexual content, human suffering, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. No, you don't understand! I found a hair! That guy has hair! Guilty, guilty, guilty! I'm Andy. Your Honor, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt the murderer was either this man or a Labrador retriever. I'm Sean. In the land of crime, the man with alopecia is king. I'm Adam. Woman bones, as dark as their evil woman hearts. I'm Kelly, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about forensics. Mm. Oh, I thought you were just going to leave it at furries, and I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Specifically, bad forensics. Mm. Oh. Which uh, turns out to be most of them. <laughs> oh, good. I feel like that's one it took us a while to get a hang of. Etymology of forensic, it is from Latin forensis, or oh. of the forum. I have oh. a bunch of forensics. <laughs> so some people believe this is actually a reference to the investigation into the stabbing of Caesar, which happened in the Roman Forum. Mm. You there, let's see you swing a knife. <laughs> We've never done this before, but I want you to look at this scene and tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a loud et tu <laughs> <laughs> But since everybody stabbed him, it seems like an easy crime to solve. <laughs> All you guys stand around with knives, put them down and get to work. <laughs> we got to figure it out. Take off those blood-splattered togas. <laughs> You're contaminating the scene. For fear today, I have capiophobia, which is the fear of being arrested. Uh, fear of mind-controlling hats. <laughs> <laughs> which the article I read was like, is more common in people who have been arrested. And I'm like, that's just common <laughs> sense. I feel like that's an easy one to avoid, though. Avoid yeah. having a fear of? But if, if you don't do anything to get arrested for, then you don't have to worry about being arrested for anything. <laughs> sure. That's the that's yeah, the that's, that's what my numbers I'm going to share with you show. As long as you're innocent, you're safe. <laughs> I feel like that's the case most of the time, not all of the time. Good for you, white boy. How dare you. So we're actually going to do some history today. Mm. Just to give us some backgrounds here. So we're going to define forensic as scientific-ish Techniques used in the investigation of a crime. And a little bit of astrology. <laughs> you know, that gut instinct. To touch on the early, early history of forensics, the earliest known forensic textbook, so to speak, is from the 13th century in China. Oh, I thought it was going to be Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> no, nope, go back further than that. It's called The Washing Away of Wrongs. Wow. My. Wow. Great a, name. That sounds Hitlery. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool historical document it's got information on corpse decomposition across the seasons so ah. like this is how fast a corpse de decomposes in summer this is how fast it does it in winter etc hmm. skeletal identification like how to tell the uh, sex of a skeleton oh, that's a skeleton <laughs> <laughs> 
and ways to identify how a crime was committed, etc. One story it tells is of a murder victim being discovered who'd been killed by a sickle. And to identify the killer, the magistrate investigating had all the farmers bring out their sickles. <laughs> the flies gathered on one particular sickle because mm. they could sense the traces of blood that were left. No, I was just chopping up poop. <laughs> <laughs> and the owner quickly confessed. Wow. So that's sort of cool. I'm a poop farmer, but I say I did hate him. <laughs> it's a poop smith. On the other hand, it also says uh, the following, quote, the bones of men are whitish. <laughs> Those really? of females are darker. When yeah, women yeah. give birth, their bones produce blood like a flow of water. Therefore, for the bones will be darkish. Huh. Huh. If someone swallows poison, the bones will also be darkish. Hmm. Not green. See <laughs> either a female or a poisoned man. <laughs> so you kind of got to take the uh, text with a, a little bit of salt. One thing to note when you look back in the history of forensic is that most of it doesn't come from the scientific community. It comes from the crime-fighting community. Like Batman. Yeah. Justice! <laughs> and that's where it kind of goes wrong. Because um, scientists have a prove-it-wrong-and-poke-holes approach to new science, where cops have a, well, this seems to work with let's-run-with-it <laughs> approach. <laughs> he looks guilty. Look, I found a glove. Yeah. Generally, expert testimony is allowed if it's, quote, gained general acceptance in the field it belongs to, which isn't an extremely high standard. Hmm. No. If you sound like you know what you're talking about, we'll let you talk. And that's the other person thing. The person who decides whether it has general acceptance is the judge yeah. who is not versed in the various fields. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just sort of going on their gut, too. But they like beer. So in 2009, Obama put together a council to look into forensic science and make sure it all had sound science, scientific basics. Um, and they found, chillingly, a lack of scientific underpinning in nearly every forensic practice except for DNA. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> um, hmm. I, what about the photo enhancing? <laughs> so we're going to move on to our acid pop quiz. We're doing things a little differently today. I've got our... We're playing innocent or guilty? <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. We, I've got our true and false and our short answer all jumbled together with a little bit of terms as well, because I want to talk about exonerations in the U.S. Hmm. So first, what does it mean to be legally exonerated? Hmm. False. You, you did not commit <laughs> a crime. Does it mean? Or like you're... Maybe you were a, like found guilty of the crime but the evidence later made it not guilty that's what i'm saying yes i don't know it just depends on what the judge says i guess <laughs> yeah I, i'm gonna say that it it means that you're i don't know which one but you're like innocent in one thing but not enough to get out of jail like it's like okay we agree you're innocent but you're still guilty enough to be yeah, in jail you still have to do your time yeah so Andy's got it. If you're legally exonerated, it means you've been declared innocent after having been convicted of a crime. Mm, yeah. So like I said, we're going to talk about exonerations specifically in the U.S. because that's where I could find the numbers. Because that's um, the most important country there is. <laughs> Woohoo! To be very clear, we're going to be talking about innocent people who were sent to prison. <sighs> True or false, in general, exonerations are going up. 
Definitely true. I'd say true. Yeah, it seems true. This is true. The peak I found was in 2016 when 166 people were exonerated. By comparison, in 1996, 47 people were exonerated. Hmm. Man, I cannot. I would be so angry. (laughs) So what caused the spike? I think I know this. Uh, Improvement in DNA testing. That seems, hopefully that's right. I mean, that's the one (laughs) that has the most, like, uh, basis for being true. I think I heard that for years they used hair evidence, but then they actually tested hair evidence. Like, okay, here's a hair sample. You tell us who it's from. And they just couldn't do it ever. Like, their win rate was, like, exactly zero. So they went back and basically threw out any case that ever had hair evidence as their thing. I wish that were true. Oh. (laughs) You've both all kind of got the general idea. It's not mostly from DNA because usually you just don't find DNA at the scene. So that can only exonerate so many people. Mm. But in general, what's happened is prosecutorial offices have decided having innocent people in prison is a bad idea. And they've set up review boards to look at questionable cases. Hmm. That's nice. And the review boards are finding all sorts of exciting issues. For example, in Texas, a number of drug convictions were overturned because the field kits used to test substances were giving false positives for drugs. This is either cocaine or powdered sugar. Pretty much. (laughs) You have a puppy seed weapon. (laughs) They'd turn color in the presence of cocaine, but also legal prescribed medications. Yeah. Apparently, they gave false positives for dozens of other substances. <laughs> so when these review boards went back and actually tested the substances, they just found out they weren't actually illegal drugs. They just kept them around? Well, that's what's. That's why this is sort of unusual. This is like one county in Texas. Yeah. Because usually if someone, especially if someone pleads guilty, which a lot of these people did because yeah. you're told to, they just destroy the evidence. But in this case, they still had <laughs> they still had the stuff around, so they could still test it. The one police precinct where the cops didn't get into the cocaine they seized. <laughs> well, it's because it was all powdered sugar. Ah, I'll just leave it there. Jeez, this is gross. Got a lot of criminals in jail and confectioners. <laughs> I'm glad that guy went to jail. This isn't cocaine at all. <laughs> so we talked about uh, exoneration based on DNA evidence. How many people in the U.S. have been exonerated by DNA evidence? 400. I'm hoping high. Let's go 1,000. Uh, I don't know, 900. So, Sean is closest, but you all went over. Mm. It's 367. Oh, I was very close. Very close. Because not only do you need DNA evidence to be there, you need someone to get them to test it, which isn't easy. Mm. A lot of reluctant scientists or something? (laughs) Well, the... The prosecutor isn't interested in reopening the case. Uh, okay. They don't want to hand over the evidence so that you can I retest won. it. Yeah. <laughs> the defendant's still bitter about not getting paid. Get the hell out of here, Phoenix, right? <laughs> of those 367, how many were on death row? Oh. 366. <laughs> 20. 100. Sean is the closest without going over. Yeah. It's... 21. Oh, wow. Wow. Lucky 21. <laughs> Hold. Of those 367, how many were dead? Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, no. 
40. What's 367 minus 27? Uh, 340. Yeah, we'll say 340. Good. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, I missed your answer. 100. You are all high. It was 19. Oh, okay. Good okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we only killed 19 innocent people who we have DNA evidence that they were innocent. Do you want hauntings? <laughs> this is how you get hauntings. <laughs> Could barely fill a dead bus with those people. <laughs> True or false? A man was in prison for 55 years before being exonerated. I'll say true. Yeah. It was the hurricane. I'm going to say it was higher. Well, yeah. I think that would still count. So I'm going to say true. This is false. Oh. That's that's the good news. Okay. So I'm only looking at exonerations that happened after 1989 because that's what I could find the good numbers on. Mm. Uh, But the longest I found was 45 years. Okay. There's a story about that one Indian guy who's been in jail since like 1972, and everybody's like, yeah, he's totally innocent, but nobody will let him out. (laughs) But he hasn't been exonerated. I guess that's true. (laughs) To bring this back to forensics, I'm going to tell you the story of someone who was in prison for 41 years. Oh, boy. His name was Ladura Watkins, and he was released in 2017. Ladura, I didn't do it, Watkins. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting nickname. A Christian name. Watkins was found guilty of killing a woman in 1975. The evidence against him was the testimony of a man who said he helped with the murder, but didn't pull the trigger, Hmm. and a single hair, (laughs) which a hair analyst testified was identical to Watson to a reasonable degree of scientific certainty. (laughs) I found an empty hair follicle on his head. (laughs) Just look at it. Looks the same. These hairs are both blonde. So in 1980, the man who testified against Watson retracted his testimony and said he basically did it to get a free ride from the police (laughs) and that Watson had nothing to do with it. They gave me a dollar. (laughs) The judge refused to allow Watkins a new trial because (sighs) hair. Criminals always lie. (laughs) Criminals are always losing hair. (laughs) At that point, he was literally in prison because of a single hair. (laughs) In 2013, the FBI admitted the whole hair matching idea was nonsense. Uh, We'll get into that later. Hey, Judge, can we open it up now? (laughs) (laughs) And in 2017, Watson was freed. Watkins, sorry. Then he died of old age. (laughs) I found some stuff that said he sued. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I should hope so. I couldn't find anything that said he won, just that he was suing. Well, there was that story when you did your satanic panic episode where they were like, okay, we agree you're innocent, but we'll only let you out if you agree not to sue us. Yeah, that happened. True or false, it's estimated that four in a hundred people sentenced to death row are innocent. (sighs) False, hopefully false. Oh, God, it's much lower, please. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say false, too. True. Adam's got it. Oh, this is true. Take that, optimists. <laughs> so, if you want to look at the light side of those four, two will likely be exonerated eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm only giving tax money to kill two people. Look at that big old silver lining. <laughs> now that we're all in the right mood and we've got a sense of what's at stake, let's move Fart on to our terms. Thing. What is dactylography? Fingerprint study. Oh, God, that sounds... That sounds right. I was going to make a joke about pterodactyls, but I'm agreeing with you. 
It's the forensic art of fingerprinting. It's the study about how people with like double joints or like have an extra thumb or something are more likely to be criminals. <laughs> it is fingerprinting. Yeah. What is Locard's exchange principle? <laughs> Would say that again? Locard's exchange principle, sometimes called Locard's principle of exchange. Hmm. Locard's exchange principle is a federation law that says you cannot give up an officer that is a prisoner for an android, namely Data. <laughs> See how I, I hesitated there so Andy could have the Star Trek joke? Now I got to think of something else. Uh, so Locard exchange is when you have a deck of cards and whoever pulls the lowest one gets to decide the terms of the deal. <laughs> I see you shied away from making another Star Trek joke, but I'm going to lean into it. Uh, Locard's exchange principle is uh, the principle that there must always be a Picard that exists in the universe. So if Picard goes into the alternate Bizarro universe, we get Locard. (laughs) Great job, everyone. (laughs) You got it. It was all three of those things. No, uh, so Locard was a forensic scientists in the early 1900s, late 1800s. And his principle was basically whenever two human beings come in contact, something from one is inevitably left on the other. You. In other words, if I meet up with a friend with, on them. with or without murder, I'll get a little bit of friend on me and they'll get a little bit of me on them. You got a friend on me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a big, big principle in forensics. It's basically the idea that if someone commits a crime, there is evidence. Hmm. I see. What does PERK, that's P-E-R-K, stand for? PERK. So each letter stands for something. There's your hint. People eventually reveal killers. (laughs) Presidential exoneration? Republican cunts. (laughs) With a K. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a K word. Kangaroo. Kentucky. Kitten. I'm all out. (laughs) Possibly erotic recreational Kellogg's. (laughs) (laughs) He certainly was. Those yogurt enemas coming right up. Perk is the physical evidence recovery kit. It's your little kit you bring with you to the crime scene to stash away evidence. I would hope for a bigger kit. (sighs) We're going to move on to our stories. Story time. This is less stories in more areas of forensic science. Hmm. So first, we're going to talk about hair. In brief, hair analysis is the comparison of hair connected with a crime to hair from the head of the suspected (sighs) criminal. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yep. (laughs) By close examination, an investigator can supposedly identify whether the two hairs are from the same person. So they tell us. (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, the bullet examination where all the the lines match up. Yeah. Yeah. So the first documented case of hair analysis being used is from 1855. Wow. When a man was found guilty of killing a plantation owner because hair found on a rope in his house supposedly matched the hair of the murder victim. That's a stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Was he guilty? Who knows? (laughs) Does anyone care if a plantation owner is killed? Not really. (laughs) Not anymore. So anyway, the process used at the time, looking closely at two hairs and comparing and contrasting, is basically the process that continued to be used until recently. Oh, they looked at them very closely for like (laughs) three minutes. I got like my glasses and everything. (laughs) 
you know, eventually it got to be microscopic, but it's... Anyway, we'll get into it. After World War II, the FBI got really into the technique. I love hair. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a bag of it. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Research. You got any pictures of me? <laughs> They sent agents all over the U.S. to train locals in hair analysis. Oh, I so that they were going to say to bring back hair. <laughs> in retrospect, this was probably a bad idea. Mm. In 2013, yes, 2013, the FBI finally decided to examine this practice a bit more closely. <laughs> okay, you've all been using it for, what, 50 years now? Let's see how you're doing. Time for a quiz. I hope you studied. And they discovered it was useless. <laughs> What's this nonsense? <laughs> well, there's a guy with sweatpants full of hair walking around the FBI. Swish, 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 swish. Not only can analysts not reliably tell the difference between hair from different people, hair isn't even reliably different. Uh, the government identified 3,000 cases where FBI agents gave testimony about hair analysis, which was now essentially... Equivalent to them reading a recipe in court as far as usefulness goes. <laughs> I was going to say, like, my beard has, like, four or five different colors in it. Yeah. I don't have hair. You're a move, <laughs> FBI. I say, I'm going bald. You try me. The perfect crime. <laughs> and those 3,000 cases, that's just FBI cases. <laughs> Remember, they trained people all over the U.S. That's right. a hair. I know it anywhere. It's estimated that tens of thousands of cases involved hair analysis. Within those FBI cases, 35 people were given the death penalty, nine were executed, and five died on death row. Well, and since 1989, 74 hair analysis cases have been overturned based on DNA evidence. Mm. Can you get DNA from hair? Like, does that work? You need the, I think you need the follicle attached uh, is the thing. You need to be scalped. That's mm -hmm. rarer. But let's talk real people affected by this. In 1985, George Perot was found guilty of raping a 78-year-old woman. The main evidence? The hair at the scene was a match for his. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This despite the fact that the victim described her attacker as a clean-shaven, short-haired man, and George had shaggy hair and a beard. <laughs> oh, yeah, that doesn't... <laughs> he grew it the next day to cover himself. So he was released in 2019. Mm. And there are people who are still in prison where one of the main arguments for their being locked up was hair analysis. I just feel like if you really want me to murder somebody, lock me up for 40 years without having done it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, to overturn a conviction, you kind of have to overturn all the evidence against you, uh, even if you wouldn't have been convicted if one of those pieces of evidence hadn't been there. Hmm. So it gets really complicated. Well, like you said, they, they're like, no, just plead guilty. We'll go real yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of these people pled guilty. We'll only give you one death sentence instead of three. We're not getting into false confessions or bad eyewitness testimony, but I will mention that one of the things I saw on a lot of the more positive forensic sites where they were like, forensics are great, but they're no, uh, no substitute for eyewitness testimony. And then, I, you know, you look at eyewitness testimony, it's like 76% of the time they have no idea what they're talking about. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the murderer was blue. Wait. <laughs> Moving on, as bad as hair analysis is, bite mark analysis is much, much worse. Interesting. And it's still defended and used in some cases. So we can trace bite mark analysis back to 1692, 
when it was used in that pinnacle of rational investigation, the Salem Witch Trials. Ah, that was only 10 years after they invented teeth. (laughs) As you can see, the devil bit me, and this woman's mouth matches up with the devil's. (laughs) The man who was accused this way was convicted and hanged. But uh, they probably would have hung him anyway, so. Him and his teeth. (laughs) The problem with bite mark analysis is it's wildly subjective. (laughs) Dental records are a great way to identify a body. That's true. But looking at some bruises or indents on someone's skin and matching them up to a specific set of teeth is a bit more complicated. Nah. Experts can't even reliably identify whether bite marks are from human teeth, let alone which human they're from. Damn or it. a cat. There are many cases of two experts looking at the same set of bite marks and drawing opposite conclusions while both defending the scientific basis for their conclusions. (laughs) This man bit that woman. No, that's a coyote. (laughs) (laughs) Over 20 convictions involving bite mark evidence have been overturned. This number is really low. And the reason it's really low is because... People don't bite people very often? (laughs) No, it's because bite mark evidence is stupid isn't an argument that convinces many judges. (laughs) So to overturn it, you basically need DNA evidence proving your innocence. Hmm. Mm, Gross. In one case, a man was convicted of murdering his wife based on bite mark evidence. There was a bite mark on her arm. He bit her to death. (laughs) What if they had rough sex the day before? (laughs) (laughs) Or she had it with anyone else, for that matter. Yeah. So an expert testified that the man was within the 1% of the population that could have left the bite mark found on the woman's arm. Years later, that same expert testified that based on current understanding of bite mark analysis, the man was definitely innocent because his teeth couldn't possibly have left that bite mark. Okay. (laughs) It's impossible. (laughs) So the expert was entirely sure both times and gave Mm. opposite testimonies. Sorry for your lost year. (laughs) Easy job this bite detective must have. (laughs) I still don't know whether that guy was guilty or not, because we seem to have equal evidence in both directions. He definitely did or didn't do it. (laughs) He did something. Hi, I'm I'm a bite mark expert, which is just as good as an astrologer. Come over here. (laughs) I also read palms. (laughs) Guilty, guilty. (laughs) Okay, so bite marks and hair analysis, bad. But- We can count on fingerprints, right? I mean, that seems pretty good. (laughs) They help me grip uh, things that are smooth. Eh, the answer is ish. Hmm. (laughs) So if you get a crisp, clear, pretty print, and the person's prints are on file, and you're an unbiased observer, you've got a pretty good chance of making an accurate assessment. Pretty, pretty princes. (laughs) (laughs) But even so, experts were found to turn up false positives in between 1 in 18 and 1 in 30 cases. Hmm. (laughs) Which isn't great. So in a recent-ish high-profile case, the FBI arrested Brandon Mayfield and accused him of bombing a train in Madrid, killing 191 people. Hmm. His prints were found on a detonator cap near the scene. That's just a bottle cap. (laughs) Two weeks later, when the Spanish police arrested the actual terrorist, the FBI was stuck saying, oopsie, and letting Mayfield go. (laughs) So sorry. Explain yourself, FBI. (laughs) I imagine he was very confused. Exit stage left, even. (laughs) I work work at the detonator cap factory. His prints just sort of looked like the terrorist (laughs) prints. That's what it came down to. 
No, if every crime show has led me to believe they have this thing that like cycles through the prints, like yeah, I've always been told that my fingerprints are special and unique, like me. Well, as far as we know, that's true, but they're also very, very fine details. Yeah. So actually interpreting them is up to a lot of subjective decision making. I feel like it'd it'd be like you trying to uh, pick out an identical barcode. Yeah, I could see that. So they actually used this specific incident to run a test on the, the accuracy of fingerprint analysis. They pulled in four specialists. They showed them two prints. They said one of them was Mayfield's. One of them was drawn by my daughter. <laughs> and the other was the print from Madrid. And they asked the specialists if they would have made the same mistake the FBI made. <laughs> How dumb are you? Three out of the four said no. They could see obvious difference between the two sets of prints. Here's the thing. What they had actually shown them was a pair of prints that they had identified in a, as identical in a previous case. <laughs> oh, no. A lot of people losing their specialist title. <laughs> So they basically just called their own previous findings incorrect. <laughs> except Ooh. the fourth very diligent investigator. <laughs> what kind of loser would rule like this? <laughs> so one thing I'm not going into is uh, arson investigations, because I feel like that's better on a fire episode or mm. even an arson episode. But I just want to mention that arson investigations are also really, really really not scientific even a little bit at all it's got to be really tough <laughs> not much left well it's basically good. just like a like an apprenticeship sort of thing so it's whatever <laughs> the guy who trains you think arson looks like that's what you learn arson looks like get in on this yeah, you just watch me make stuff up for a while and then you can do it on your own <laughs> here's my box set of i don't know the the shield <laughs> So those are all the stories I have. Anyone want to share some forensic stories of their own? Speaking on fingerprints, I had to do a science fair project when I was in third, fourth grade. And my dad said, I've got the perfect thing for you. It's going to be on fingerprints because my dad was way into like detective stuff and novels. And he was the undersheriff at the time. Undersheriff. So he had <laughs> access to all of these uh fingerprint records, printed out this whole book, did my whole project for me. It was like, here you go, kid. <laughs> I got a participation ribbon. <laughs> Tell me if I win the fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I found it in a box later and I was like, this is actually pretty interesting. But even then, looking at some of the fingerprints, you're like, that doesn't look super similar. Yeah. So what is an undersheriff? Is there some sort of like underground crime or that something that happens? second from the sheriff. Hmm. And then there's the over-sheriff. <laughs> the uber-sheriff. <laughs> no, that's the shadowy overlord of the sheriff, and now that you've mentioned it, we're all going to die. Yeah, I don't really have any forensic stories. You've never watched a body decay? I will say that recently at daycare, our daughter was bitten, and there was like perfect teeth mark bruises on her arm, and it's like, we can find the perpetrator. <laughs> we can see this one. Well, it's easier with little kids because they each have a different number of yeah, teeth. I was going to say, who has seven teeth in this room? You can't just go around the daycare yelling at kids <laughs> to open their mouths. Open your mouth and bite me, kid. <laughs> bite this apple. How does justice taste? <laughs> well, I don't have any stories either, so I think we'll move on to what are your morals worth? Mm. How much would you need to make in yearly salary to make your living as a bite mark specialist? <laughs> That's a can, real easy job, guys. Can my answer just be 
I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> or do I have to say yes or no? No, you have to. You have to give. They're not going to hire you if you can't give <laughs> expert opinions. This is the worst two choice test in the world. <laughs> but I feel like I could get in there and actually give like honest answers. All these specialists are going in there saying yes or no, but you could actually get in there and say like this isn't really a specific science. <laughs> And they'd have to listen to you because you're the specialist. <laughs> you cannot make your living as a bite mark specialist by going in there and saying there's no such thing as bite mark specialists. <laughs> I'm going to bring down the industry from the inside. <laughs> I've become the very thing I sought to destroy. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like you could make some good money on the side with, like, bite foley work. <laughs> some good crunches. Biting some celery, biting an apple. Those are the two things. That's it. <laughs> Plus, you could tell people their fortunes by having them bite an apple. Found a worm. Very unlucky. Get out. <laughs> oh, oh, God. You, you See, have the canines of destiny. At this point, there's a lot of futures in my hands. Yeah. yeah. But that's what I'm saying is you get in there and give them a more honest opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how they do it. Like, can I have them bite me and we'll compare the two bites? <laughs> I I am not an expert in how they make these decisions. I assume yeah. they look at your dental records. Okay, sir, you're accused. I'd like you to bite me like you're a violent offender. <laughs> You'd be like a guy on YouTube who gets stuck by all the different bugs. Oh, God, a uh, coyote something. Except you're just getting bit by criminals. <laughs> <laughs> you can rate them on that pain scale. <laughs> How many times can I get a staph infection? See, this is this is too nerve-wracking. I would be just just beside myself so you're gonna need a high salary then yeah yeah i've never wanted an important job <laughs> you know that actually mattered i think bare minimum yearly salary would be five hundred thousand. See, that's what i was thinking i'll i'll go 450 because like adam said i can give them an honest opinion yeah you wouldn't have to feel too bad about it <laughs> if i'm gonna potentially be sending innocent people away i'm gonna need at least two million whoa the thing is, the bite mark specialists who are there now are giving honest opinions. Yeah. yeah but they're too full of themselves. <laughs> yeah, they think they know everything about teeth. What are you, a DDS? <laughs> Do you have they're to be not- a dentist to be a bite specialist? I would hope so. They did mention that they were usually like orthodontist-y type hmm. people. That makes sense. Oh, so they're torturers. <laughs> <laughs> you also have to look at a lot of teeth. What'd you say, Sean? Four, 400? I said 500. I, I, I went 450. I think I could do less than that. Say 200. Whew. But Adam's going to be the good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm the one that all the, the accused criminals who can't afford the good ones go to. Every yeah. single person they bring towards me is like a Stracula. And I've lost my sense of taste. <laughs> Those other bright specialists guy. aren't humble and awesome like me. <laughs> Adam's, Adam's the main character from Chew. Yeah. Yeah. I was going for more of a daredevil vibe, but yeah, that works. <laughs> well... Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you to our innocent editor, Gerard. If you'd like to see more of us, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Acid Pop Podcast. We also have a Reddit where you can come and chat or you can email us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't bite. No bite. Goodbye. Goodbye.